0: The water saw Bagoato, or a heart to us, some
1: <laughs>
0: so, <coughs> <coughs> just let it be the fall of wakefulness. It's over. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> and, you know, the fun of the bell on the retreat just was, had a. Working with some of the folks in a little group session, and many of them have been on bell duty. And uh, I don't think some of you realise what an offering it has been, and what a place of waking up at it has been. So,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: what's really fascinating to me is how something like that that makes us very present in the room. What that's like and when we. Kind of have a sense of ourselves coming into presence in other people's consciousnesses, hmm? being looked at, noticed. You can gain a lot of senses of what you're projecting out there. Hmm? At least leading the chanting, it can be a, just be really wonderful. Giving a talk, you know, in the next days as we start to open up more into interaction and contact I find it really hilariously fascinating (laughs) (laughs) what happens when the bells rung at the wrong time (laughs) (laughs) you know because in the end we're just trying to wake up to all of it aren't we you know, back to the sense that, particularly, you know, really, it doesn't matter. It rings now. It rings later. It's not like we've got anything we're trying to get done. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to do. Nowhere to go. right. So, so, you know, in the terms of the progression of this, you know, my sense of what's helpful with this text now each bit we could pick up in terms of any of the noble truths right, but at this point I feel it's kind of helpful to pick it up in terms of the way the path path of practice because this the possibility that there actually is a path is what gives us such encouragement because you know, the text in places is really confronting it's like, Whoa. You know, is this even possible no, so the Buddha is saying yes folk have done this by living mindfully but mindfulness has certain supports in place yeah. so I had a particular text I wanted associate with this and I've looked everywhere and cannot find it so maybe it'll come for tomorrow who knows but I thought to maybe just reflect a bit come to the text and then there are a couple I thought would be really helpful just to read the first bit of the turning of the wheel as it's called the, the time the Buddha really first lays down the Four Noble Truths it it's just really present for us because in that he's, he's giving this path that we're all practicing with and we can describe it of course in endless ways and it's broken down in all kinds of different ways too um, in terms of how you speak about what is cultivated. So I thought, oh which way shall we go? But there's a in terms of this text, if we just cast our minds back to the beginning. Yeah. And we have Bhavari and what has he been cultivating? So in a sense we get what ripens the heart, what prepares it to really penetrate this teaching. And so here he is, he's simplified his life. We find out later he's very old, but he's, he's simplified his life. So, it's easier to pay attention if things aren't extraordinarily complex, mm. and many of us just work is complex, and then along with that, what else are we doing you know so so to some extent we we have a see the value in not just keeping adding more and more and more and more mm. seeing what works, seeing what doesn't
1: yeah.
0: and then. You know, he comes into trouble because he's done this great act of generosity, of dāna. So he, he really understands the value of it and he's given everything away. But it, you know, then he gets into trouble. He's been cultivating sila, you know, ethical conduct. So all these... Parts are actually in place. And you know, some of you were in Portland when I was reflecting on the whole quality of dana. You know, and we can see it in terms of our generosity externally, like offering to ring the bell. You know, There are folk in the room who have supported other folk to be here. That kind of generosity where we're looking out for each other, looking after each other
1: Mm.
0: and it's a helpful quality because it can, when you reflect on it, it brings a lot of happiness Mm. to have done things that are for other people's benefit even if it was stressful even if the night before you were up all night worrying about it, the fact that you were prepared to undertake something for the good of the community when reflected on (coughs) brings a sense of ease and happiness ringing the bell looking out for others supporting places like this it's all part of this thing that we can think and get a sense of yeah, I'm living well and what I find really helpful is to take these qualities inward. As you can tell, that's really where my you know I see our workers. So can we be generous with what is arising for us? You know, that we extend a sense of welcome and friendliness for our conditions of body and mind. There's not stinginess, meanness. Yeah. Once again this quality of welcome. It's it has generosity and it has the heart qualities with it. Mm-hmm. Willing to be here, you know, giving our attention. And I told the story in Portland of one of the one of the monks, two-months mothers, and she'd been to my home country, home monastery, and came back super excited and said to me, oh, Tania, I've really understood something. The most valuable thing I can give is my attention. Yeah. Very profound for her. Yeah. and." attention outward, but attention this way is pretty radical too, isn't it? So the sense that this was being cultivated. Mm. And then ethical conduct. What it's like when we can trust ourselves. We have the, we know we can really open to what's happening and we're not going to do anything that's harmful, grossly harmful to others. Through misunderstanding, through anxiety, we might do something that is confusing or difficult for them, but that's not our intention. Yeah. It starts to really free us up to allow what is here to be here. We trust ourselves. Yeah.
1: Mm
0: we're living a generous, ethical life. And in terms of cultivation of the way of the realization of the letting go of clinging, and all this stuff in here, these are the ground. Yeah. You don't get very far if your mind is really savagely occluded by ill will and fear. You know, unless you have profound cultivations in support. So we know, you know, the classic of all of this is um, Ngulimala. And I was talking with some of you at the beginning of the retreat. the, The man who wore all the garlands round his neck of fingers from all the people he had killed and in in the scriptures it talks about there being just complete chaos and fear in the countryside (coughs) and the Buddha setting out on the road where he knew Ngulimala was and folk trying to stop him but, you know, because people even traveling in groups of 20 or 30 have been killed. So this man is very dangerous. And the Buddha just sets out. And Angulimala uh, sees him coming in the distance. And, you know, the thought is recorded that he has, well, this is really miraculous. Why is he coming here? all by himself, or will kill him. So he sets out to catch the Buddha and the Buddha is walking and Gulimala is running and Ngulimala cannot catch him. So he shouts out to the Buddha, stop, stop, recluse. And the Buddha says to him, I have stopped Ngulimala. You stop. Which time, Angulimala reflects on this, knowing that you know, folk like the Buddha speak the truth, and the, the understanding is, and it's a, it's a powerful understanding that really releases him from this whole predicament. Is that the Buddha has stopped harming? Yeah. And, of course, in the present chaplaincy, it's a very powerful story, because you know some of us have lighter karma, some of us have heavier, and the sense that actually, if we can just stop harming the whole thing shifts, yeah so it's these possibilities here yeah, that. It can sound so ultimate, some of this. you a man of nothing, letting go of all desire. But it is a gradual teaching and a gradual path and then the heart gets ripe and it hears something and it understands. Mm. So it's to keep good heart with it all. Mm. There it, it is a path. So, in the, in the scriptures, what, what we get is the Buddha setting the wheel of Dharma, rolling. Yeah, And unfortunately I haven't got the whole text with me, but in, many of you will have The Life of the Buddha. It's a lovely collection if you love to read narrative with dharma interspersed with it. So in here, they've got some of what happened after the Buddha became enlightened, and his whole sense of, well, is there any point in teaching, who do I teach? And what happens when he decides to go and teach the five men he'd been practicing with? And I won't read it now, but it, some of these stories are really lovely, you just get a sense of what the Buddha was like. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'd encourage you to get hold of texts like this, just because they're so gladdening. And I can put a little reading list on the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so her has knows these fellows have been practicing very diligently within their understanding very strictly renunciant so they weren't very pleased with his shift you know, to a more middle ground but they've been living you know, following codes of ethics and you know, living a very good life and then he says there are two extremes that ought not to be cultivated. What two? There is devotion to pursuit of pleasure and sensual desires, which is low, coarse, noble and harmful. And there is devotion to self-mortification, which is painful, ignoble, and harmful, which is what they've been up to. Yeah. The middle way discovered by the perfect one avoids both these extremes, it gives vision gives knowledge and leads to peace, to direct knowledge, to enlightenment, to nibbāna. And what is the noble way? What is the middle way? It is this noble eightfold path. That is to say, right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. This is a middle way discovered by the perfect one, which gives vision, gives knowledge, and leads to peace, to direct knowledge, to enlightenment, to nirvana. Then he goes on to expound the four noble truths, which we've been talking of. Yeah. Maybe tomorrow I could read more of it. It's just very, I find it very beautiful. Just this whole very simple laying out of something. So as we're reading and contemplating this other text it's to have our ears out for these path cultivations. It's no? It isn't codified in that kind of way In this text But we, the Buddha is relentlessly Throughout the text Talking about right mindfulness mm. Isn't he? Just Right mindfulness Right understanding Right intention mm. And in it he's not directly addressing the ethical aspects of the path because of who he's talking to. You know, right speech, right livelihood, these aspects. But, for ourselves, they're part of what ripen things for us. Yeah. We're not living heedlessly. Mm. So, yeah. So, to go to the text itself, I just, just, so we we have a sense of what the maps are that are behind us, in a way. And so we keep courage with it all. I'm, my sense was to, because we're, it's Friday, to just put a whole lot of them together because they you know we've been hearing the themes. And to save the prologue for tomorrow, prologue for tomorrow. Epilogue it is. Yeah. So because I had a question about Udaya's question, I'll read that. So the Brahmin student Udaya speaks and he says gone beyond in every way the ultimate in everything when he sits in meditation though was, there is no poison to infect him no dust speck to impede him, he has done what has to be done this is the man I have come to with my question, and this sir is it can you tell me about knowledge that frees, can you tell me how to remove ignorance so then he talks about the removal of the intense desire for sensuous things, and the grief, the rejection of laziness, and the resistance to worry. So in a way, we're, we're looking at the things that hinder the mind. Slightly phrased slightly differently, but these are the hindrances. The purity of perfect balanced mindfulness built on a basis of seeing the way things are. This is liberation knowledge, and this is the destruction of ignorance. Yeah. So this balanced mindfulness built on the basis of seeing the way things are. Not the way we think they should be if we're going to look spiritual (laughs) yeah because the real challenge of the whole thing is as in that little text I put out is that we awaken to the conditions that are present and the more it can be really long as we can establish right mindfulness and the path factors, the condition is not so important. Yeah. Some, some things are so powerful, we just get full. We're in that river and ocean of suffering. But some we can establish presence with.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then, particularly when they've been the things that have been constructing us, really powerful to start softening them so what binds and ties down the world what causes the wandering what is it what is it that you abandon in order to find nirvana that which ties you down said the buddha is the desire for pleasure the wandering is applied thought and the way to nirvana is to abandon the thirst of desire so the question was around this statement the thirst of desire what are we on about seems like two things put together and if you read if we read a different translation it's probably clearer the same little piece, the world has enjoyment as its fetter. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Speculation is its investigation, which I find tricky, but the abandonment of craving, it is called quenching. <coughs> yeah? So it, they haven't put thirst and desire together. Rather, they've said that with, when craving is abandoned, there is a quenching. So it's one of the problems with translation and why I'm really looking forward to the new ones that are promised. So in the actual text, um, gosh, I've forgotten the word. I think the word is tanha, so craving. But I can check it again if it's different. So, yes, it is confusing in this translation. It looks like a whole lot of stuff compounded together. Yeah. So, in a way, I'd put in my mind by the abandonment of craving, it is called quenched. Yeah? It may make more sense. So, abandonment of craving. And we get moments of this, don't we? Where we see the mind configuring something, wanting something, and we go, oh, you know, mindfulness is present and heads it off, as the text says. The collectiveness of mind is present, and we can catch it. And that's the wonderful thing about being on retreat the whole thing slowed down a bit and you can catch these things and you can really attune to and feel the kind of craving and wanting they come out of and you get to know it. And in my experience when we really know something it changes and certainly the compulsion weakens. Some moments we catch it, some moments we don't but we start to really understand this experience how we get configured and what desire does I'm just trying to see what's helpful to pick up Pulsala asks about things, and I thought maybe just one little bit of what is in his Buddha's response to him might be helpful. Because in a sense we're still in the same territory. So what Buddha says to Pulsala is when they have realized that the bound, binding power of pleasure is rooted in nothingness then they have come to a clear understanding of this process What do you make of that, you know? The sense that the, the kind of stuff that traps us is constructed, it's not real and often In the the suitors, you you talk about their things being empty, this quality, and it's not that they're not present, but they don't have an intrinsic self. That assumption is incorrect. Mm. So it's to It's not that there's nothing. It's a bit like it would be ridiculous to say, you know, there's no being here. I mean, we can all, I can even see myself, (laughs) you know, so, but it's that there's no intrinsic self. so these are the kind of things we start to glimpse when these path factors are developed it may be that you're at home a bit like me with this whole experience with worry and you're just you know, you're living well so the mind's not really in a really um, compacted state so it's got enough openness to notice something and you see how you construct yourself in a moment, yeah. As I was saying, you know, t- taking birth on worry, mm-hmm. see, so feel and experience. Think there must be somebody there, mm-hmm. and these. It's just about we well, get little tastes of this stuff, and it starts to shift our allegiance, mm-hmm. and it starts to get a bit easier we start to recognize, oh, we even just are willing to open and feel this stuff. It's not, it's not what I imagined. It has a very different nature.
1: Mm.
0: What seemed impossible is actually okay. In, we come to Mulgaraja, and his his question is one of the really famous ones. And so he says, "Man of Sakya, I've come about. I've asked about this twice before, without receiving an answer from the wisdom eye. But I've heard that if a wisdom god is asked a third time, then they will give an answer." I do not know, famous Gautama, what attitude you take towards this world and towards the other world, the world of the Brahma and gods. So because of your insight into excellence, I have come to ask you about this. What is the best way for a person to regard the world so that the king of death won't see him? The master replied, If you are always aware, Mogaraja, you will look at the world and see its emptiness. If you give up looking at yourself as a soul or a fixed and special identity, then you will have given yourself a way to go beyond death. Look at the world like this, and the king of death will not see you. Yeah? So there's emptiness, empty of self. And we don't want to come to it from view, some idea, it's not a view, it's an experience. So the way we, once again, it has a whole path with it. it. It's about, we keep attending to what is here, the way things are, and if we're attending really accurately, we're seeing the movement, you know, the nature, the arising, the passing of things. And you know, the primary inquiry, Well. Is what is arising and ceasing dukkha Yes Lord and is what is it right to consider what is arising and ceasing and dukkha as yourself? No Lord Yeah? So we keep just noticing how we tend to grasp conditions. Take them as somebody here. And it's, it's really why it has to be seen as a path, is it's gradual, but it also, it, it's not like once we get deeper insight into this, that's where we stop we can see the Buddha taught the disciples taught um, they lived their lives Mm. Nata carried on with his life Mm. from a place with greater freedom in it otherwise, I don't know about you but if you think, well, it's a kind of annihilation of everything who wants to do it? And the, so we have to be really careful we don't go to this extreme because you know it is one of the extremes. There is you know, no point and there's nothing. So the the nothing the Buddha's pointing to, this nothingness, is a, is about something in particular a particular way of expressing an understanding yeah. Yeah. I'm not, it's hard to talk about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I hope you might get a, some sense of what I'm meaning but you're, you're contemplating these texts yourself you may have come to your own clearer way of understanding yes yeah? and as you can see we don't want to get too caught up with the actual words in the text though they're very beautiful and I find really helpful because certain bits of translations can be occluding so um, this is another translation by K.R. Norman and um, you know, can sit here and if you're having bits you're struggling with, please feel welcome. Just have a look and see how someone else translates it. And so, I, I guess my sense with all of this is how do we keep heart? Mm-hmm. That we we see that it's valuable what we're doing. We find it's nourishing us. It, it is freeing us up. Yeah. So within this, it's a whole sense of, well, how does one live this as a life? We live generously, inside and out. We live ethically and we live in relationship to other people. Mm. And what that's like, what, how we use that in our path, the sense of the you know, right livelihood, right speech, these ways of really cultivating our hearts and being present to another. Because most of us are, aren't we? We've got people we're being with. How does this kind of text inform that experience? And there are things on the planet we care about. How does this text inform that experience? I was talking with one of you today in that sense of why I... You know, we, I, find it helpful to actually start to see some of the compulsion, some of the sadness, some of the reactivity to what is happening around us. Because we're then freed up to respond from a very different place that can be more fruitful. And so the the senses we cultivate for our own well-being and for the well-being of others. And it, it, it does help. I'm sure folk you live with or work with, folk are saying to you, well, it's very nice to be with you. Or in your work when things get really tough and you're not panicking as much as everybody else. That folk appreciate your the strength you're cultivating to be more present to what is happening less in contention conditions because that's really what we start to be able to offer, isn't it? Yeah. We're willing to be here Yeah, which for some of us is a big thing. Okay. So,
1: now.
0: Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit org slash donate.